So I'm sitting here and getting all my ducks in a row. And I got to tell you, podcast people especially, um, this one's weird. This one, this one went to some places. There's a little bit of a, a preamble setup that you'll get when this thing starts. But uh, this thing, this thing definitely went somewhere I wasn't expecting. And I hope uh, very, very much that uh, it's good and you like it and that uh, this makes a difference for some people. All right. Um, yeah, I'm going to let this thing count for like 15 more seconds and then we're going to get started while I shove more water nervously in my face. I hope you've been doing well. I hope you had a nice day and, you know, got things done and have things to look forward to that aren't, you know, work or anything. I hope it um, is overall good. All right, mouthful of water. Then we're going to do this thing. And apparently there's a, I don't know if you can hear this, but right outside my window, apparently there's some sort of like World War II aerial dogfight happening. Just planes just zooming and whipping by. I have no idea what's causing it, but wow. Okay. Anyway, um, that's neither here nor there. Let's, uh, here we go. Let's do this. Hello there. Gosh, Bruce, yes. I'll get these darn verbs if they kill me. And now we'll see how good you are. Oh, man. I forgot I threw the Warcraft guy in there. Yeah. I'm, I'm enjoying the new intro. I'm, I'm really quite proud of myself on that one. So, hello. Hi. Uh, how are you? I'm good. Are, are you okay? I'm nervous. You can tell. But um, it's, it's nice to be here. It's nice to be back in your eyes and in your ears. Uh, hello, Twitch chat. Uh, by the way, YouTube, you're seeing this. Uh, well, YouTube, hello, you're seeing this in the future. Podcast people, you're hearing this in the future. Uh, and I know there are some new people. So, hi, new people. Uh, don't worry, we're going to attach a little uh, intro preamble before we really get rolling here in case you have no idea what any of this stuff is. I don't want you feeling left out. So, I thought we could, you know, have a chat for a hot second. Um, this... Yeah, this this stream is is not what I expected. Um, let's do the preamble first, and then we'll come back and do like the basic intro-y stuff and all, all the all that good stuff that you know I know you know and I know you like. So, ladies and gentlemen, guys, gals, non-binary pals, welcome. Let's uh, let's just lay some groundwork, though, shall we? Including part one: who I am and who you are and what you're doing here. Uh, if, if you're totally new, then this is all new to you and, and you've never heard this before. And if you've been here before, you know this part, but I'm going to fill some new folks in. So let's be nice to the new folks. Hi, I'm John. 
Uh, I'm John who helps you write better. And plain and simple, I help authors write better. Uh, I have worked in traditional and self-publishing in some way, shape, or form as an editor, as uh, a submissions editor, as a publishing company founder, as a managing director, uh, in some way, shape, or form since 1997. Uh, and I currently now make my living as a coach and a developmental editor for any author anywhere who needs help doing anything, any book, any genre, any whatever, whether it's your first book and your first draft or you're the fifth book and you're trying to get it out the door, whether you're battling writer's block, whether you are suffering and struggling with just trying to get started or just trying to finish or getting published at all. Uh, I, I want to help. I really do want to help. That's, that's my thing. Uh, I love to help. It's, it's, it's kind of what I'm good at, frankly. Um, there are other things I'm good at, but this is the one I'm good at and proud of at the same time. This, um, this didn't always start that way. I used to be, uh, less helpful until I kind of got my head out of my ass and figured out what the hell was going on. And it has evolved since, you know, the early two thousands, uh, into the current thing you are watching now, which if you're just curious, uh, there are podcasts, there are streams, there are videos, you're watching it right this second. Uh, and you can get John helps you write better as a podcast, wherever you get your pods casted. Uh, just search for John Helps You Write Better. It's on all the platforms. It's practically daily. And you should know that if you're ever looking for personal help, you can head over to johnhelpsyourwritebetter.com. Click on the appointments button. It's right in the top. You can't really miss it. Uh, and coaching, working one-on-one, -on -one, comes in two flavors, 30 minutes or 60 minutes. It's all laid out on the website. It's pretty straightforward. Uh, but overall, predominantly, my job, my goal no matter what I'm doing, whether I'm talking to somebody about how to market a thing or whether I'm talking to somebody about how to write a better sentence or I'm talking to a class or I'm teaching whatever, I want to help. It's very important to me that your art exists out in the world. Um, when I was younger and stupider, um, I wanted your art in the world because I wanted some kind of credit. Look at me. I helped this person make a thing. And as I've gotten older, uh, it stopped being about me in, by the way, oh, you also your product. It was more just, you know, me, me, me. And now it's more you, you, you. I want your book on my shelf. I want your photos in my face. I want your art on my walls. I want your t-shirts. I want your hoodies. I want your mugs. By the way, if you have mugs, come on. Could we bring mugs back, please? Pint glasses, beverage holders, you know, stuff like that. Could we, could we merch it up again? I want that stuff. I want you to succeed. I want you to be empowered and educated and confident and aware that you can make your art in whatever way you want, however you want, and it can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the art that we think like lives up on the Mount Rushmore of really cool shit. You are absolutely capable of that. No, no problem, no doubt, no cap. You, you can just do it. You can be that good. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter how many times you've struggled with this before, you can get better. And you can get done and you can get started and you can improve and you can go beyond your biggest writing goals. Sometimes it just takes some support. Sometimes it takes just some education. Sometimes it takes a little bit of both. 
but you can get well beyond point A to point B all the way down to point Z if you want. And I'd be happy to help because your art should exist in this world. So that's who I am. And if you're here, uh, it's because, well, you're a writer who's probably been stuck before, who's probably been caught up in your head, caught up worried in, in a pile of excuses, wondering about this and worrying about that, and just not sure if you're doing it right, just not sure if it's good enough, just not sure, you know, what the hell it is and what the hell is happening. So you sit in this space of a lot of frustration. And, and that's really where we're going to start tonight. Originally, this stream started off as a very angry rant. I I have a temper. I'm working on it. I'm in therapy about it. I don't like my temper. It doesn't necessarily like me. But I'm working on it. And this rant started off as just hellfire and brimstone and piss and vinegar and just big, giant, sensational, holy shit. Just I'm angry about stuff. And I was angry about work and angry about writing. And I was just, ah, I was just going to scream a lot. And I thought, I'll make a stream out of it because content, and um, it, it'll be great. And I sat there, and I thought about it, and I started mapping it out because I was really fired up about how just angry I was. And I thought about it, and I'd be angry, and it'd be fun. It'd be amusing for those of you who like it when I, you know, just start yelling and cursing a lot. But it, it wouldn't help. It, it wouldn't really help. And my goal is to always help. It's literally in the name of the business. So I, I want to help. And I, as I further sat in my frustration and in my anger, I made this distinction. And I, I want to I share that first before we go anywhere else. I've noticed that when I'm angry, it's because somebody else has done something or not done something that has gotten in the way or impeded me or affected me and made it impossible for me to do what I wanted to do or do things in the direction I wanted to do or has some in some other way personally like acted to like inconvenience me. You know, this is anybody from, you know, the guy who cuts me off in traffic to getting angry at myself that I didn't arrive five minutes earlier so I could get a better parking space or I'm angry at somebody for telling me, that, you know, they know how I'm thinking or something. Like, anger is a friend of mine. I don't like him. He hangs out all the time. But that's different than frustration. And I was angry about the writing. I was angry about this thing. I'll, I'll talk about the specifics in a second. But I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't angry long term. Once I got over just the sense of, ah, and, and I really thought about it, I was frustrated. And I get frustrated when somebody does or doesn't do something that doesn't inconvenience or, or interrupt me, but it inconveniences or interrupts them. When I, when I talk to writers, and I, I do that the majority of every day, I talk to people who are in their own way. They're frustrated. They're overwhelmed. They're confused. They're full of excuses, full of rationalizations, full of reasons of, of, dubious or or sort of quality that that 
keep them from doing what they want to do. They've got answers to everything. Well, here's why I can't do it this way, and I don't know what to do, and what about this? And they've got a, a thousand million comparisons to make. I want to be like this, and I wish it was like that, and I wish things were different, and you know, a, a ton of stuff, justifications and all that as to why they just can't do what they want to do. And those things frustrate me. They don't make me angry. They frustrate me, and they disappoint me. Because I, I, I make them too. I'm not immune to any of this. I do this all the time. There's plenty of stuff I owe people. There's plenty of stuff I'm imperfect at. There's plenty of stuff I wish I did differently. But I get frustrated. And so here's the situation that prompted this whole thing. And then we'll talk about how the, it made a turn into something else. I was working with some people and reading some manuscripts, as I do, going through page by page, line by line, and I was reading stuff that was technically fine. It was fine. It was fine. The periods were in the right spots. The paragraphs were okay. The grammar was fine. Words were spelled right. It looked okay on the page. People had clearly put in effort to produce stuff that looked okay. It, you know, it wasn't finished, I think, most of it wasn't finished product stuff. It was second draft, third draft kind of stuff, stuff that will get developed later in things. But it, it, it was okay. And I read it, and I read it again and again, and I left comments, and I left notes. And it wasn't about proofreading, which I don't like to do, but it wasn't about the editing process. The text was fine, the writing wasn't. And that's a distinction I think we really need to start with because what was lacking in all these books, in all these stories, with all these writers was a complete disconnection from what they wrote to the deeper stuff that writing seems to benefit from but writers seem to avoid and that's emotional depth and relatability. They wrote fine. They authored ineffectively. They lacked connection to the reader. I read this stuff and it was sterile and flat like old soda. And it didn't engage me. It didn't grab me. I was just watching words go by on the screen. I wasn't feeling any feelings. I was seeing people display creativity and imagination. Look, I made up stuff. Aren't I so clever? Look at all the nuances of these made up people with superpowers and ninja skills and magic and stuff. And a romance character with these lofty ideas. They had all these things they had spent a lot of time and space thinking about. But I didn't connect with any of it. And I got frustrated. Because I know these people. These are the same people that when they talk about writing, they talk about things in terms of their shortcomings rather than their successes. They talk about how it's taking too long. They talk about how it's too many drafts. They talk about how they should be done faster or that this should be easier or that this should be different or if they didn't have to work so much, they wouldn't be so tired, they'd have more time for writing or they don't know where to start or they can't stop thinking about what somebody else is doing or when somebody else does something, they feel very jealous. Uh, 
and they've got all this stuff and they can write the hell out of some basic stuff. They can find you 15 adjectives for green. They can tell you all about the research they've done as to the nature of the hunky firefighter in their romance novel. They can tell you a ton of stuff, but they can't connect with you. And that's where this stream, this discussion, this video you're watching, this podcast you're listening to, that's where this starts. I want to finally and definitively get you started on the path to connect to things. I want to talk about how to do that without shoving your head way up your ass, without trying to make it sound like you have to like write in such a way that everything is multiple layers of metaphor so that when you talk about like the autumn breeze, you're really describing the, the working conditions of the 19th century. And, and, you know, when you say the shoelaces untied, you're describing in great detail, the political ramifications of global economies. Like, I don't, I don't like any of that. That's, that's not what I want you to feel like deeper writing has to be. It doesn't need to be those things. And I know you can walk around into other writing spaces, whether that's Substack or whether that's writing communities with various hashtags, and you can find people who have somehow contorted and built writing around this sound, around this idea that writing that isn't deeply, complicatedly erudite and, and abrasive and stuffy isn't good. And that genre fiction in particular is kind of garbage. And I want to, I want to throw rocks at all of that today. I want to tell you that that's not at all right because I want to, I want to tell you that the emperor has no clothes. This idea that writing has to be sounding a certain way or that you have to write a certain way or that you have to adopt some kind of persona to be that kind of writer is all nonsense because it's all about connection. It's all about finding how you can relate to somebody else, no matter what you're writing, whether it's a science fiction story, whether it's a romance novel, whether it's a blog post, whether it's a newsletter, whether it's whatever you have to connect to people and you can find that advice anywhere. There's loads of human beings, grifters and, and skeevy folks and people with good intentions but poor teaching ability who will tell you 10 times from Sunday, you got to be authentic. You got to connect. You got to be authentic. You got to connect and then not tell you how to do it. I don't like that either because, yeah, it's hard to explain how to do it in a way that like immediate and quick and, you know, snap, poof, we get it because that's the sort of way we want digestible content in some spaces. But it is possible. You can learn how to connect to other people. The problem is, as it was with the people whose manuscripts I was working with, to connect to other people, you first have to connect with yourself. And that kind of vulnerability is terrifying. It's scary. It's hard. It's messy. It feels weird. It feels unsafe. And that's the key to creativity. So we're going to get there. We're not starting there. We're going to get there. But for now, we're going to lay out some basics and some ground rules, okay? This is a marathon. What you're writing, how you're writing it, 
how you're thinking about a career, whether that career is I'm going to write this book and then never do it again, or I'm going to do this for the next 30, 40 years, or you're doing that new trend that I saw on social media that I was talking to somebody about, or somebody was talking to me about where it's like, they have this post where they're staring off like it's a TikTok or something. They're staring off into space and they're like, I'm willing the universe to, you know, get my book series turned into like a streaming television show. And they haven't written the damn book. They haven't even started the second draft or whatever, but they're, they're already like calling their shot Babe Ruth style. And now, first of all, props for calling your shot. Good for you. That's great. I hope that works out for you. Second of all, none of that's how that shit works. You can't just do that. Like for all the time and energy you would, you would spend calling that into, into existence. You could write like five or 10 screenplay pages and build a little like pitch and make a story Bible and be in better position to not only write your fiction, but also pitch a series down the road. But to understand that you got to stop thinking about this in terms of like, I got to get this done quickly and I got to get this done well. And I got to, I got to be better than something and that there's a million short-term sprints to do that just add up one after the other to get where you want to go. Stop thinking about sprints. Stop thinking about short-term bursts and, and you know, like a cheetah or like a drag racer that flies down the road and then, then runs out of gas. Stop thinking like that. This is a marathon. You have to think long-term and endurance. And part of that endurance comes not from, I'm wearing the right kind of shoes or I've mastered the proper foot technique. Because in those cases, the right kind of shoes, at least for our writing metaphor, is the software we use or the way we put the words on the page. And the proper foot technique is all those questions people ask about the basic level writing stuff. How do I write a second act? What is a flashback? How do I make a character arc? That's your foot technique. That's important. Absolutely, that's important. But that's only part of a marathon. That's only part of what we would have to talk about if you were running a marathon. There's a, there's a metaphor in martial arts that says from the day you start to the day you get your black belt, that's sort of like the intro stuff. You hear this too in academic circles when you get your master's and your PhD that you know up until that point, pre-master's, or, or pre-black belt, you're learning the basics. And then all of a sudden, once you get a black belt, once you get your master's, once you get your PhD, that's where the doors really open up and you actually get to do whatever it is. You get to really understand karate or judo or you get to really understand your particular discipline. And when I initially heard that, because I didn't immediately have my black belt or my master's or anything, I got really angry because that seemed like it was going to be forever and a day away. And then I got like... I advanced further in, in my field and um, it's kind of accurate because when I was younger and I was starting to do this and I, all I wanted to do was sprint. All I wanted to do was show how fast I could go and show you how quickly ahead of you I could get and then sort of hold that over you because I was better than you for 10 seconds. And I, I thought that was the best way to do it because I won, because I was better, because I was accomplishing stuff and look at me and look at me and look at me. In the long term, though, it doesn't work that way. No one cares. No one cares. What matters is what you produce long term and how you get to your goal. And whether or not you're happy with yourself 
when you get to your goal, as you get to your goal. And this is a marathon where, yeah, we care about our footwork. And, yeah, we care about the shoe we're using because it facilitates us moving our feet. But we think about this not in terms of, you know, we just have to tie our shoes and then just start going. We think about this in terms of endurance. We think about this in terms of nutrition. We think about this in terms of prep. We think about, we think about this in terms of mindset and organization. And this is a marathon. And because this is a marathon, usually what happens when I start talking about marathons is I, I give you this kind of rah-rah speech. I, I tell people all about how you've got to win and you got to persist. And that's true. You do get to win if you stick with it. But this, what, we're, what you're listening to right now, what you're watching right now, is not a motivational win the race. It's not at all. This is me talking to you. This is me pointing some stuff out that maybe applies to you, maybe applies more to the person next to you, maybe doesn't click with you right now, but maybe when you listen back to this later, it'll click to you then. Because this isn't about winning a race. This is about where you can do better. And this is where you can do better and do better and do different. Because that, that's the trick. That's the thing we talk about. That's, we, we couch that in loads of different gimmicky languages. We talk about that in a lot of phrases and a lot of technical shit. But really, all we're doing, when, we, when we're writer adjacent, when we're working with writers, or we're trying to sell them very overpriced, expensive, dumb shit, we're finding different ways to facilitate you doing better than you're doing right now. I don't have a lot of fancy gimmicks. I'm just me and I talk into this microphone and then people go do stuff. It's there's no like $9,000 specialty stuff. I'm not interested in spending the time. I don't even have $9,000 to do that with, but I, I want you to have as many tools as possible in your toolbox. And I want you to make art. I don't want you just to tell stories. I want you just to get very good at writing in the past tense. I want you to make art and to do that, for a lot of you, you're not bad humans. You're not broken. You're not deficient. You're not in error. You just need more help than you've got. You need more tools. You need more support and or both. And that's okay because you're going to get some here. So let's cover some just straightforward, basic, technical stuff. No gimmicks. No frills. Let's just talk about some writing stuff. And we're going to start with this rule right here. The reader only knows what you put on the page. If you don't say it, the reader's not going to even know to think about it. Now, there's a red flag here. There, there's some cautionary notes. Don't, don't read into this and say like, oh, I have to detail everything. We'll talk about that in a second. But the point here is that you need to remember that your job writing whatever you're writing, doing whatever you're doing, is to translate your head, the picture in your head, the movie that plays in your brain, your imagination. Your job is to relay that onto the page so that somebody else who doesn't have any of that stuff can pick it up and get 80 or more percent of that installed into their brain, which means you have to put things on the page. Now, sometimes it doesn't really matter and we can skip over some stuff. We'll talk about that when we get, you'll, you'll see where when we talk about that. 
but there are other times where you mean a thing, that thing you mean better make it onto the page. And it's not just about the text. It's not just, well, you said it was green, so it's green and that's all we need to know. You have to remember that there's a whole big iceberg under the surface. There's a whole big amount of stuff like feelings and subtext and mood and atmosphere that aren't going to be specifically quantified by the language. There's not going to be a sentence that says the atmosphere was such and such. You have to convey that atmosphere without directly talking about that atmosphere. And in order to do that, you have to know what you're going to put on the page and understand that whatever you put on the page, that's what the reader is trying to build the image in their brain with. So if you're holding things back because you think detail is boring or you're being kind of vague because you don't want to bog the reader down in too much detail or you're kind of skipping over stuff because you know what you mean when you said whatever you said, understand that the reader doesn't. The reader's only going to know what you put on the page. Now we're going to take it one step further. Because the reader only knows how to picture something based on whatever information you provide. Sometimes this is to your advantage. Because if you just say something like, they're in a kitchen, and it doesn't really matter past that, and the kitchen you're picturing in your head, the specificity of it right now in this moment does not matter, and it's more just about like, I need you to picture a kitchen not one that has Kohler faucets or it has a Whirlpool dishwasher or the countertop is made of this particular stone or something. You just need a kitchen. Sometimes we can rely on the reader's estimation and acceptance and understanding of things in order to understand or get across our information. Other times, however, we need to be more specific. If you are trying to say a couch and it really does matter what kind of couch, the shape it's in, the color it is, the texture, the fabric, the size, the whatever, then you need to relay that information in that moment. Not all of it forever. It's not like we're only going to talk about the couch on page three in detail, and then the reader's just supposed to remember hundreds of pages later, like the exact paragraph you wrote about on page three. It's just that at the time when it matters, say something about it. And the information you provide and how you provide that information is going to make a difference to how the reader not only pictures what you've said, understands what you said, but most critically knows how to feel about what you said. Your word choice here is only part of the picture. Your grammar here is only part of the picture. There are important things because that helps us organize information, but it's not the only thing. You have to remember that it's more than just showing off that you invented some stuff. It's about how it feels to the reader. How do things come across? What kind of atmosphere, mood, tone are you trying to set? Or is this just you sitting down telling me a story and I need to sit crisscross applesauce on my carpet square so that during library time you can read at me? That's not the best relationship to get into if you're you know, producing work to be read by anybody over the age of about seven. You have to know that they're, they, the reader, will picture only based on what you say. So if you say couch, 
with minimal other qualifiers and it matters about the couch, you are trusting that the reader fills in the gap with either completely knowing what you mean when you say couch or knowing that whatever couch they picture in their head, is it brown? Is it leather? Is it overstuffed? Is it fabric? Is it ugly? Does it have flowers on it? Is it secondhand or the spring sticking up out of the back? Whatever you let them picture, you're okay with. You have to provide this information, not because the reader's stupid, but the reader just doesn't know. They only know what you put on the page, and they're only going to know how to think and feel about what's on the page based on the information you provide. And that information is not only fact. It's also feeling. Let's dig a little deeper. So here, we're going to grab a paragraph. I, I grabbed a, a paragraph from a client. She said I could borrow her stuff. And admittedly, this is a simple paragraph because I didn't want to grab anything too complex. But we're going we're gonna to take this paragraph apart. So here we go. Pour me another one. On the other side of the bar, the old wrinkled figure that served as a bartender complied without comment. He was used to it by now. Now, I made a couple notes here. First note being, it opens with a quote. That's not automatically bad, but that quote's going to serve two functions and they're worth talking about. One, that quote is going to have a sound to it. How is it said? What kind of voice is making these mouth sounds? That's one part of it. The other part of it is, Based on what the quote is, what words are being said in what order with what intention behind them, they're going to convey something about the character that's doing the speaking. If we look at the language and we take it apart a little bit, pour me another one suggests that we're, there were ones previous to this. That's important. They're not represented here specifically in the paragraph. Maybe they will be in the next paragraph. But for now, it's important to see that the words we choose aren't just a demonstration of, I made a thing up, yay, but that they serve a function and a utility. They communicate something. So when we look at the second sentence, which, by the way, is the biggest sentence in this paragraph, on the other side of the bar, the old wrinkled figure that served as a bartender complied without comment, the word we've got to find the word that carries the most weight and that's complied. That's the verb. Most often, the, the word doing a lot of the heavy lifting is going to be the verb. Complied without comment suggests that this bartender, and it's verified by the next sentence, he was used to it by now, it confirms that the bartender's been doing this before. So what we've got here is a scene with absent description. We know there's a bar. We know there's a person, and we know that there's a bartender on the other side of the bar who is pouring a drink, or who did pour a drink, and who has poured drinks previously. But that leads us to the questions, like, where's the description? What should the reader imagine? Where is the camera? I talk a lot about cameras. I like cameras. I like visual stuff. I like media. I like film. That's one of my first degrees. So I tend to think about things as though my brain is playing out a movie. So I want to know what I'm supposed to be picturing in my head. Pour me another one. How does that sound? What sort of being, because it might, they might not be human, what sort of being is saying that? How is it said? I have no dialogue tag. I don't necessarily need all this information right here in the first paragraph, but I need something. 
what should I picture? Should I hear the words and hear the sound before I see a visual? Should it be, you know, the sound of someone talking on a blank screen and then the picture comes in and then the bartender complies? What should I, what does the bartender look like? I know he's old and wrinkled, but you know, is he a raisin or is he like a little old person or is he like a super old person? What should I imagine? I'm looking for these opportunities. I want to care about what I'm reading. I want to connect with what you've got on the page. You understand what you mean. You wrote this paragraph. You know what you mean. You know what to picture. But your job isn't just to write down what's in your head. Your job is to write down what's in your head in a way that takes what's in your head and allows it to be put into my head. And then on top of that, to do all that in such a way that I feel a feeling that I didn't otherwise feel prior to reading this paragraph. That's the hard part. That's the vulnerable part. That's the part that elevates your text from something sterile and descriptive. He did a thing. They did a thing. This happened. That happened. He, the character, felt this way. Tell, 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 tell. Description, description, description. Show, 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 show. It's all flat. The camera is one of the ways we make it less flat. You think about what the reader should picture and you control that dispensation of information. Is the camera behind the person speaking so they're hunched over the bar? So the bar, we're, we're looking over their shoulder at the bar and at the bartender? Are we, you know, is the camera fixed at the edge of the bar? So it's looking up across the length of the bar and we're seeing the two people sort of split with this barrier of emptiness between them. Where are we positioning the camera so that we know what we can describe, so that we know what we can detail, so that the reader has a sense of what they should be picturing rather than just reading and accepting information without any kind of quality, without any kind of qualification, without any kind of understanding of context. It's just you've given me fact, 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 statement, 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 sound, sound, sound. I have this stuff. What do you want me to do with it? We press on because maybe when they said there's a wrinkled guy behind the bar, this is the bar. Here's an image of a bar. If you're listening to the podcast, it's dark and it's a stock photo of a bar that I grabbed from, I think, Pexels. It's, it's a bar. There's large varieties of liquor behind it. There's stuff on the counter. There's some fruit. There's some cocktail glasses. There's some weird bar lighting, you know, it's a lot of browns, a lot of beiges, a lot of woods, a lot of high shiny shit. If this is the kind of image you want the reader to know, if this level of detail is what you want the reader to know, some amount of this has to make it into that paragraph. Yes, it'll slow things down. Yes, it'll take time. But it's worth it. Because you're, you're trying to get this bar into my head. You're trying to get across the, the weird fruit that's sitting in a little tray and this weird like log plant thing that's in the background and the sink and the, the shininess of the bar and the weird, ugly, modernist chairs. You're trying to get this picture across to me. You don't want me just to picture like the college dive bar I used to go to. You're not trying to picture like the fancy cocktail bar of the 1920s speakeasy. You have a particular bar in mind. Your job is to put it in my brain. 
To do that, you're going to use a visual combination of tools, a sensory combination of tools, so that I know what to picture. And you're going to do it in a couple sentences. Doesn't have to be perfect. Doesn't have to be all at once. Just needs to be there. If this is what you want the reader to imagine, how are they supposed to know that if you don't tell them? That's why that matters. And here's where we get to the other side. Remember that part where I talked about how you're going to know that the reader doesn't need to know everything? This is that moment. Because if you tell the reader everything, everything, the history of every dust bunny and inch of wax and the shininess of the the this or the that or the Rockwell hardness scale of the fake gemstones and the dish and, and the number of trees in the back and all that stuff. If you overload the reader, they're not going to be able to parse the information because you've given them too much. You've, like this picture on the image says, it's just clutter. You've just stacked a million things on top of each other. There's no quiz at the end of your book. There's no test to see if the reader was a good person and they get a sticker and a you know, free chocolate milk at lunch if they remember every detail. They don't need to. You don't need to give them every detail. You don't need to give them every detail to every inch. This isn't about, you know, trying to get the platinum trophy in a video game and giving them 100% hyper-completion and awareness of everything. You have to be discriminating. You have to pick and choose what it is you want to say. Because remember, it's not just a matter of showing off how creative you were. It's a matter of showing off some degree of your creativity in addition to getting someone else who doesn't have the information to know a thing and feel a thing. And if you keep loading me up with fact, if you keep loading me up with objects and data, I'm not going to have a lot of room in my brain to understand feeling. You don't have to give them a million details. You just don't doesn't matter what genre you're writing. doesn't matter what other authors do or did. I'm telling you, you don't need to give them everything. There's just too much, and the reader's not going to know what to do with it. You ever see that image of like, you, you often see it in like cartoons where somebody goes shopping and there's somebody else, a second person with them, and they just keep handing them bags, and they're all of a sudden like juggling 40 bags in a tower in a stack that's precariously balanced. That's what the reader feels like when you tell them about everything. You detail every rank in your military fiction and every piece of machinery and every article of clothing and every inch of a subject. You're just loading them up with packages and you're just saying, follow behind me and I'll just keep telling the story at you. Do you think that's an enjoyable experience for the person carrying all those bags? Do you think that encourages someone to go shopping with you again if they know all you're going to do is just buy everything and then make them carry it all? Do you think that's what they want? Do you think that's what they said when they were like, yeah, I'd love to go to the mall. I got some stuff I want to buy. I want to have an experience. Probably not. We need to consider that when we write. It's not about crafting with 100%ness. It's about communicating some balance around 80% or so of what they need to know in addition to what they feel, not only in this moment, but also the moment slightly ahead so that they can shape the story as they go so that they can connect with characters. On we go. The reader 
wants to feel like they're in the space, whatever the space is, with the character or characters. And what's happening on the page is happening while the character is there. Doesn't matter if we're talking about past tense. Doesn't matter if we're talking about present tense. Doesn't matter if we're in first person. Doesn't matter if we're in second or third person. Doesn't matter if it's MPOV. Doesn't matter if it's a flashback. The reader wants to feel like the story is happening all around them actively in an engaging way so that they can picture it, so that they can feel like it's there. If you want your characters to be tense, because, oh my God, what's where is the killer going to find us? If you want them to be scared, if you want them to be excited because, oh man, I think Rocky's going to punch that guy in the nose. You have to communicate those things through more than just descriptions and statements, through more than just saying Rocky was excited he was going to punch a guy in the nose. You've got to do better than that. You've got to use a variety of tools, not just sentence structure, not just punctuation, not just a demonstration that you can write an error-free sentence to communicate what they need to feel and what they need to picture. So in this image on screen, if you're watching the video, there's a bench and two people, uh, they're the same person. I cloned them in Photoshop. Two people are looking at it at a famous lake. I think it's in, I think it's in uh, Canada, maybe Alberta or something. I remember it's two people sitting on a bench and they're looking at a very placid lake. Depending on how you want this scene to feel, you want the two characters, you know, one's the reader and one's the character that are labeled. You want them to feel something. Depends on what that thing is. But you want to position the reader as close to the character as possible to get the same feeling or experience. Character feels X. We want the reader to sort of more or less feel X. Character is seeing the lake and the mountain in the background and the, the wherever the sun is and all this stuff. You want the reader positioned more or less right there too. If we put the character in some place and then we move the readers someplace else, we're doing it for a good reason. We're doing it not just because we didn't stop and think about it, but we're doing it with purpose. We're doing it because it matters. So why put the reader where we put the reader? What do you want the reader to feel? What do we want the reader to picture? What do we want the reader to imagine? If I'm sounding a little like a broken record, I apologize. That's not my intent. But my intent is to get across to you that it's not just about do the description. It's not just about understand the comma or understand that you have to talk about all the things in the room right now. It's about understanding that it's more than just what you can describe and more than just what you can write in a way that you think writing is supposed to be done got to consider the reader's experience on we go so let's think a little abstractly here let's think about it in terms of we have three things one two and three to think about so we put one two and three in space in in our slide it's a big orange space and one two and three are green things and the reader is a stick figure, as in my delightful drawing here on screen. We have three questions to ask, and we're going to ask these questions every sentence. Every sentence. I don't care. I know you're about to object. I know you're about to say, John, that seems like I'm going to slow my writing down. I understand. I hear you. 
I hear the resistance. Please, please trust me when I tell you that it's not permanent and it's just a little resistance and it's mainly because you're assuming a few things and you're thinking the worst of yourself. It's okay. It's three questions. They're all going to, you know, get answered more or less at the same time and it'll help you in the long run. So your first question is always going to be, where does the camera start? We have a scene. We're in that bar with the, with the bartender and the, and, the, and the person asking for a drink. Where's the camera? Where do we start? What do we see? And then over the course of things, we have to ask from one to two to three, where does the camera need to move if it needs to move? Chances are, yes, the camera should move. We're not making like a, a middle school film project where, you know, we borrow mom and dad's phone or camera or something, or we're doing it on our iPhones and we just park the camera in a holder and then everybody sort of walks into frame and then walks out of frame. Like the camera's mobile. We can pick it up and move. We don't have to rush. We don't have to make it sloppy, but we have to ask from sentence to sentence, where does the camera need to move if it needs to move? What's the best place for the camera in order to best develop the picture for you so that you can see and feel what it is I, the writer, want you to feel. Where does the camera need to move? And how does the camera need to get there? Is it urgent? Is it slow? Do you care? Have you thought about it? Where does this constantly, because the reader and their head is the camera. So where do you want to position the reader as they orbit and move around the scene? Are they above it, below it, next to it, to the left, to the right, facing it, behind it, under it, through it? Where do you need to move their focus in order to do more than just say, this happened, that happened, this happened, that happened? We're not writing an instruction manual. We're not just trying to cleverly detail a thing that we have in 10 steps in our head. We're trying to tell a story. The reader wants to feel invested. The reader wants to connect. The reader wants to feel feelings. Moving the camera is part of what develops those feelings. On we go. And here's where the feelings come in. It's almost like I had this organized. Feelings. Here's where things get a little abstract. And if you've, if you've been a, a longtime viewer or you're a client or if your, your family and friends who have known me for a while, you know that this used to be a very um, not frequently discussed element. I used to write this stuff off a lot because it would get very abstract in a hurry and that made me uncomfortable because it was something I knew and felt but couldn't explain. Well, things have changed and now I can explain stuff. Feelings in our writing is not only the feeling that the scene has a certain pressure or tension or joy or base level simple feeling. The feeling is also the mood of the character, the mood of the room, the mood of the potential story that's developing and at this point in time where it's at, where it could be and what's going on. The feelings, we talked about that iceberg under the surface. Here's all the stuff under the surface. Your characters have feelings. You have to explore them. 
your rooms and spaces carry emotional weight. The reason why characters are in the rooms they're in doing what they're doing is motivated not just because, you know, the plot says I have to be here. It's motivated because the character has a goal because the story has more than just this event happens to these people in this room. Then we go to this room where another story happens to other people. It's more than that. You want to write it as though the reader is experiencing this too, which means you need to find those feelings. And if you haven't stopped to ask yourself, hey, what's my character feeling right now? You are doing your writing a disservice. Because chances are you have given it some thought and you've sort of simplified it down into a very what I will call a very telling sentence. You're going to tell the reader how the character feels. My, you know, the character was happy the bad guy hadn't caught them yet. Okay. Again, if your reader is a child or is new to reading in this language, that sentence is fantastic. However, if you're writing for somebody who's not that, you need to do better than just dictate to them specifically and without, you know, you know, wobbling what the feeling is. Don't just tell them, feel happy, damn it, because that's what the character is. Because that's a sh- shitty way of connecting to your reader. That's just, that's just bad. If I keep screaming at you, be happy, are you, are you going to be happy? No, you might be kind of freaked out. That's weird. Let's be better than weird. So you have to stop and think about the character in this moment. We've got this character at the bar with the wrinkly bartender. How do they feel? I know the paragraph doesn't say how it feels. Believe me, I talked to the writer about this. The paragraph that follows describes how the character feels. How does the character feel in this moment? I know you just told the reader the character feels happy. Do better than that. Don't accept that. Don't settle for that. You're, you're not a seven-year-old writing to other seven-year-olds. You've read books. You've seen television shows. You've had thoughts in your head about feelings. You've had feelings, I presume. Maybe you've plugged the wrong feeling in at the wrong moment and you laughed at a moment when everybody else was serious. Doesn't really matter. But you have an awareness of feelings. And in this moment, the character has a goal and is trying to do something or trying to avoid something, or trying to accomplish something, or trying to get away from something, but they've got this plan and they're doing something about it, how do they feel? Put it into words and express it by doing more than just saying the character feels X. And if you're sitting there scratching your head going, I don't understand, I hear you. You're going to build a bridge because your character, I don't care if your character is a supernatural whatever. I don't care if your character is in a romance novel. It's a fantasy ninja. It's a, I don't know, let's think of something melodramatic. A half angel, half demon love couple. You, the human writing the story, need to build a bridge to your reader. That's what we do. Your characters feel things in the moment. Here your burglar character has broken into a house and they feel a certain way because they haven't been caught yet. Because 
reasons, reasons, reasons that we'll get to in the story for purposes, purposes, purposes that we'll get to in the story. The character has a feeling. Rather than look at the action the character is taking and lock yourself into researching that action and then using that to describe the feeling, which is an, a real common pitfall for writers, they say to themselves, well, I have to, I have to learn about lockpicking because my character is going to pick a lock. And if I can detail lockpicking, then somehow the reader will understand how good it feels to pick a lock. No, just, just no, that's, that's not a thing. Don't confuse the conceptual development of something with the intellectual presentation of fact, your research into how, you know, you got to move the pins with the rake and lift things with the tumbler and, you know, pay attention to how things physically tactilely respond to various prongs and stuff. That doesn't express how the character feels. And when you shortcut it to just tell the reader, you're not building a bridge. You have to build that bridge out of your own experience. Not like, well, they picked a lock and I know what it's like to pick a lock. But they need to pick this lock because what's behind it is something they want. And I have been in situations where there is something I have to deal with that is in the way of me getting what I want. They're, the character is picking a lock, but for me in my life, it was having a tough conversation with somebody. That's the kind of lock pick I had to do. Or I had to sit in an uncomfortable room with an uncomfortable person and say something. That's the lock picking I had to do. It's not about the skill or the research. It's about finding the comparable feeling. And if you want to look at the writers we herald as incredibly talented, those people we want to emulate, the reason why their writing sticks out to us, no matter who they are, no matter what they're writing, is because they are able to connect to something in us, in our feelings, more than just present us a whole ass string of facts. What you need to do, there's a typo on my slide, I just realized. You need to connect the made-up to the real, not the red. Connect the made-up to the real. It doesn't matter if you've never picked a lock. It doesn't matter if you've never, you know, been sexually attracted to the hunky firefighter. It doesn't matter if you've never been a knight in a fantasy novel. What matters is that these characters, human or not, supernatural or not, bipedal or not, immortal or not, have feelings. And you're trying to share those feelings, not just dictate and say, this is Kevin, Kevin has feelings, you guys. But the reader wants to feel like they understand Kevin. And they want to feel the same thing Kevin is feeling when Kevin is feeling this feeling. Kevin, the immortal half-devil, half-angel who's in love with another half-angel, half-devil, Kevin feels a certain way in this moment. The reader wants to feel that same feeling. And if you tell them how to feel, you are robbing the reader of the ability to figure it out on their own and be rewarded for caring about your work. You're making it harder to build a bridge. To do this, 
You need to think about more than what you can imagine. It's not just about, I'm going to come up with another thing and that'll solve the problem, or I'll give them another fact and that'll solve the problem. That's, that's not this. You need to show up for yourself. You need to look at yourself and find your characters in you. And for some of you out there, this is going to seem real weird as shit because you're writing characters who are very much not you. You're writing scientists and mercenaries and superheroes and immortal supernatural beings and and romance characters and people who have big exciting lives when you think your life is boring as shit. It doesn't doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You are describing people and you're thinking that the thing is big and complicated when really we're talking about something really superficial. It's not that different than saying today I'm wearing a gray t-shirt. Yesterday I wore a blue t-shirt. I can change it. I can change it because I, I made it because it's mine. I can just swap details. You don't want Kevin to be a half angel, half devil anymore. Poof. Kevin is an accountant now. Okay. Just change it. You need to show up for yourself and find the part of you that is your Kevin. You need to show up and find in yourself the concept of the hunky firefighter and ask yourself, what do these characters mean to me? What do they represent? I'm aspiring to be attracted to a person like this. I wish I were confident like this. I wish I were somebody who had the freedom this character has. Not just, it'd be cool if I could change shape like this character, because fine, that's nice. Again, who are we writing for? But you want to think about what part of you is described by or what absence in you is made manifest by your character. You might not be the really mega suave spy in your novel, but you might really want to be that confident. And then you can take your feeling, your absence of confidence, and you can turn it inside out and say, well, if me, if I were in this situation and I wouldn't go anywhere near the, the femme or the hum fatale and I wouldn't certainly walk into the dangerous, smoky casino, but the spy is the absolute opposite of me in terms of confidence. So I guess this guy would totally just swagger right on in there. Use your own experience to your advantage. And if you're about to tell me, but John, I don't do anything. I just have this job I do all the time. And I live in this small town. And it's, you know, I have kids and a dog and bills. I'm not talking about your LinkedIn profile. I'm talking to you about your human experience. All the birthday parties you went to and all the times you had your heart broken and all the times you were frustrated and angry for whatever reason and the times you were excited and the times you felt good the times you were surprised and the times you were lonely and the times you were horny and the times you were honest and the times you lied to protect somebody else and the time you were satisfied and the time you were confused and all those things like that will find their way to shape how you see the world and by extension they will find a way into how you build made-up worlds and made-up people. And the reader 
isn't here for your made-up people and made-up worlds. They're just vehicles. They're here because they want to find out that when you describe how you were lonely, it kind of matches how the reader has felt lonely. And so that the reader can connect with that. That's what we talk about. That's the authenticity. That's the magic trick. That's the thing that connects people. So when we look at writing, like pour me another one, then the old bartender complies. He was used to it by now. Other than asking, where's the camera and what do we picture? We have to ask, how am I supposed to feel? How do these characters feel? Where can I plug in some emotions? And for a lot of writers, the disconnect comes in from, hey, wait a minute, you just told me to describe things visually as though I'm watching a movie and now you're asking me to feel things. Yes. Those two things are not opposed to each other. They're not opposite poles on a magnet. They're not, you know, two things that will never fuse together. You know how you, when you watch TV, you felt something? You liked that TV show? You liked that moment where that cool thing happened? It's because that movie or TV show made you feel something. How that did that is because it wasn't just the specific action it took. It was what that action represented. It was what that moment made the character feel and the relationship the character had to you making you feel it too. That's what this means. You're building a bridge to your reader, not because you got real imaginative. You're building a bridge to your reader because you are able to understand your life so that you can better try and understand the reader's life. That's scary. You have to sit there with your shit. You have to sit there with the parts of you that don't feel so good. You have to sit there with the parts that you like. You have to sit with the parts you don't like. And for a lot of people, especially the writers out there who are terminally online and avoidant of anything, it can be a little messy. But you can do it. I know you can. You're good enough. And take two seconds and have a mouthful of water. And then we're going to move on. If you're out there in chat and you have questions so far, fire away. I'm all ears. Otherwise, we're just going to keep moving. Still got more ground to cover. On we go. So now, let me give you some stuff to think about. How about time? You ever think about time? Chances are you have. Chances are you use time as a, an excuse engine. Things should be going faster. I need to be doing more. If I were better, this would be happening a lot faster and easier. I should be done by now. Why is this taking so long? How many drafts am I going to have to do? When do I know if I'm done? When should I start? When should I finish? Time. Time is not important. It is important in the sense that we continue to schedule things with it. But when it comes to our creativity, 
we need to not let time drive things. It's not, it's not important. Your creativity doesn't give a shit about time. Your short-term memory does. That's why you can take notes, but it's not, it's not the reason you're creative. It's not the reason you stay creative and it's not the reason you invest in an idea. It's this other concept that we kind of like staple on everything. So we start with this. When you talk about everything needing to be faster and if it were better, you'd be better if it were faster and it would be easier and you should be done by now and you got to hurry. You got to hurry for reasons. Hurry, 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 hurry. My question to you is who told you this was a race? Who told you this was a race? Why are you rushing? Why do you have to be done sooner? You got somewhere you got to be. You got a hot date. You got a terminal illness. Any second now your brain's going to just bleed out your face. Who told you that creativity was a race? Why are you rushing? Why are you forcing yourself to work like that? Just think about it for a second. Who? You had to get this idea from somewhere. You didn't wake up one day and just have it. It came in from somewhere. Maybe a parent. Maybe a teacher. Maybe a friend group. Maybe a publisher. Maybe somebody on social media. Maybe a combination and confluence of sources said something to the effect of, you know, you want to write what's trendy or pay attention to market things or be popular or stay on top of things and don't be old-fashioned or don't fall behind or, you know, somebody criticized you and you just internalized that as, I got to go faster. I got to hurry. And somebody at some point talked to you about how well you're doing and talked about how well you were doing and decided to measure it so that you weren't last, like, Good people don't finish last. They don't take forever. If you were good at something, it wouldn't take you so long because you're good at it. Something like that might have gotten into your head over the years from any number of sources. It's not a race. It's not a race. You're not in danger of failing or losing because there's nothing to fail and there's nothing to lose. It's not a race. You don't have to rush so hard. Who cares? No one's going to care how long it took. It's not going to be a thing for people. When you go buy a book, physical copy, digital copy, whatever, do you stop and think to yourself, gosh, I hope this person wrote this book in 31 days, not 32 does that pop into your head? Why do you think it has to pop in about your own work if you don't do it for other people? Who told you this was a race? And if we're going to follow that up, why do you think they told you it was a race? What do they get out of it? If, for example, you got the impression that publishing overall was an issue of speed and timing, because you're looking at traditional publishing. Don't you think they have a vested interest in having you hurry up and produce more work so that they can profit from it? Why do you think whoever told you it was a race told you that? What was their motivation? 
how did taking on this pressure, how did taking on this excuse engine help you? Has it ever helped you? And if the answer is, I don't think so, why do you keep doing it? Your writing is not conditional on time. The quality of your work is not built around time. The quality of your work is about your understanding of what we talked about in parts, you know, way back when. The how do I communicate the image in my brain part. Time has nothing to do with it. When you're brand new at something, brand new at something, of course it's going to take you a while to get it right. Do you think that matters? You're new. You'll get better at it. It won't take as long, but no one's sitting here measuring how long it takes. It's not a race. You'll just get better the more you do something. You don't have to hurry. You don't have to rush through anything in order to demonstrate that you're good enough. You don't have to do anything like that. You just don't. Why do you think people want you to keep hurrying? Why do you think it's okay to believe them? Why do you think it's okay to do that? You're plenty good at this, and you could be even better at it if you would stop pressuring yourself with time for some reason. I understand that you don't have a lot of time because of other things like capitalism, but that doesn't mean you need to sweat time so hard that you make it harder for yourself to relax and create. It's not a race. You don't have to run it. You just need to make stuff. Connect with people. It's worth it. That's the point, right? Even if you're doing this entirely just to, you know, make a boatload of cash. First of all, there's better ways to make a boatload of cash faster. But you're doing, you're, you're making books just to make a living, make cash and, and make bank and not do anything else. You're going to make money no matter how fast you go. Because you'll just keep producing books and keep marketing them and people will keep buying them. You don't have to rush. It's not a race. Look for the thinking behind your relationship with time and see if it can be and should be and needs to be changed. And remember this. You get better at something anything when you choose because it's a choice when you choose to go slow to learn the technique to learn how to do a thing if you rush and race through because you just want to get something done how careful are you being how considerate and mindful and aware are you being if you race through a scene because you think it should just be short and over and done with how well are you getting that picture into somebody else's head? If you are rushing to move the story along to get past what you swear are the boring parts, how well are you building that bridge to your reader? You don't have to rush. Choose to go slow. It's never as slow as you think it is. And if your goal is to produce the best work you can, 
to figure out how to do this, to do this really well so that you can do it 25 more times in your life and produce 25 books and die very happy and very creative. Since you don't have to do them all right this minute, you don't have to produce all 25 of them in the next 25 days like a maniac. Choose to go slow, learn the technique, learn about yourself, and get better over time. Go slow by choice. And you get better as a writer when you take your time and practice technique over the course of your whole manuscript, the whole book, not just the, uh, how do we put this mildly, the overdone strategy of taking one section at a time and beating it like a dead horse until you swear it's perfect and then moving on. If you really want to get better at writing, you got to look at the manuscript as a whole, as a whole communion and collection of pieces, as opposed to a series of well-executed single things that just happen to be next to each other. Because otherwise you're pushing a boulder up a hill, Sisyphus. You take your time and your technique doesn't shine only in one step. Remember, it's a marathon. The whole manuscript reveals your technique. The whole manuscript reveals your voice. The whole manuscript builds a bridge to the reader. It's not going to be on just one sentence. It's not going to be on just one word the way the word complied in our example way back with the bar did all that heavy lifting. The whole thing is in play. A marathon is not just one step repeated a million times like a Zen cone. A marathon is a whole series of steps in a whole stretch of miles. And you get better when you practice your technique across the whole manuscript rather than pulling pieces out and hammering, hammering, hammering them and then moving on to the next totally unhammered piece. You will reset your progress every time that way. You will go too slow. And instead of focusing on your technique, you'll be focusing on the tedium of production. And you'll go right back to writing sterile sentences. Look at the manuscript as a whole. Think about it conceptually more than technically. And then work on each part of that one at a time. Take your time. Going faster does not win you anything. It does not show off your craft or skill any better than if you wrote slower. Because at the end of the day, if we're just looking at pages you wrote, here's some text on a page. It doesn't matter if you wrote the first two paragraphs at 10.02 in the morning and the last paragraph at 4.55 at night. What matters is that the text is on the page and the text is communicating an idea and expressing yourself to the reader. It doesn't matter if you wrote real fast or not. It just matters that there's stuff on the page. And going faster, just so we're clear from a publishing perspective, being done sooner, being way ahead of a deadline might feel good. Yeah, I said it would take me 31 days and I got it done in six. As a human being who makes his living doing that, telling people I'll be done in 20 days and then being done in four, it feels great because I get a couple days to put my feet up. But then all of a sudden I realize I need those extra days because I've burned myself out a little bit. 
going faster does not win you anything. There's no extra prize. Generally, you know, people don't pay extra for having it done sooner. You don't get a bigger advance. You don't automatically get more sales. Your book cover doesn't look sexier. There's no great win for going fast. Your craft isn't on display any more effectively if you wrote in 10 seconds versus 10 minutes. You don't have to go fast. And whether we're talking about writing one day or writing one scene or how long it takes you to write a draft, it's all the same. You don't have to go so damn fast. Where are you going anyway? Take your time. Take your stuff apart. Look at yourself. Look at your work. And build a bridge to your reader. Because no one knows how long it took you to write your manuscript. No one is timing you. No one knows how many drafts you wrote. No one's going to ask you. It's not going to come up, maybe in like some random Q&A sometime. Maybe somebody will ask in passing. But in no way does it, you know, affect you long term. And if we really stop and think about it, let's say we wrote this book in six months. If I wrote my book in six months and two days, and you wrote your book in six months, is your book better just because it took you two fewer days? Is your book better after six months of writing than somebody's book who wrote it in seven? Is your book less good than somebody who cranked out something in a weekend with AI? No one knows, no one cares how long it takes. Doesn't matter. Nobody knows if you wrote two drafts. No one knows if it took you five years to write the second draft and a week and a half to do the third draft because you did such a solid job on the second draft. No one gives a shit. The reader is looking for something they can engage with. The publisher and the editor, well... They're looking for something else. But no one's going to stop and question the drafts. No one's going to stop and look at the time and go, wow, you really suck at this. Get the hell out of here. Not going to happen. Not a thing. Never is. But let's consider the reader. Here is a stock photo image of a lady reading a book. So do you think this woman in the photo has even thought to stop and think about how long or how many drafts it took you to write the book she's got in her hand? You buy a book, any book. Do you think at all about how long it took to produce that book? Do you care about the number of days it went into printing? How long it was to, to edit? Do you care about the number of hours the cover designer took? Do you even think about that stuff? So why do you think other people do? That lady in our stock photo just wanted to read a book. You just want to write a book. Where does time come into this? If you're talking about feeling frustrated, if you're talking about feeling impatient because you think you're supposed to be better than this, whatever better means, why? Why are you maybe unwilling to give yourself some other praise? Hold on to that thought. We're coming back to it. Your impatience, your frustration, your self-criticism, 
all point to the expectations you have for yourself and your writing. And expectations will kill you. Expectations, the things we hold ourselves up to, the rules we set for ourselves, the things we demand of ourselves, they're murderous. Terrible. So let's talk about expectations. And I bring you a few things to think about. What do you think of when you think about perfect writing? I made perfect in air quotes. What do you think of when you think about perfect writing? Do you think perfect writing is error-free? Do you think perfect writing is saying what you want to say clearly so that no one is confused? Do you think that perfect writing shows off how talented or clever you are or how imaginative you are? Is perfect writing writing that makes the reader feel something profound and deep? Is perfect writing writing that proves that you're as good as or better than somebody else? Is perfect writing saying something the right way? Or, a little bit more intensely, is perfect writing writing that no one can criticize? And is perfect writing writing that no one will reject or dislike or give less than five stars at? Why do you make such a big deal about your writing needing to be perfect. What are you trying to say? What feeling are you trying to communicate? What's the matter? Why does it have to be perfect? Why is this a big deal to you? I'm not telling you you're wrong. I'm not angry with you. I'm not yelling at you. I'm sincerely asking you talk about your writing and wanting it to be perfect and need, it needing to be perfect and it needing to be a certain way and it needing to be good enough. When you talk about that, what does that mean? What is that? What is that? You say it so often. Don't settle for just, well, it means it's good enough. It means it's good. Okay. What does good mean? What does good writing look like? What does good writing have that your writing doesn't? Is it just that it's free of errors? Because your writing was free of errors. You you know, you ran it through spell check, you ran it through grammar check, you know, you don't you your commas in the right space, you've capitalized the right thing, it's error free. What's the problem? Why is it not good? Did you not say something clearly? Okay. Word choice. Is it not clever? Does it not show off what you mean? Is it not profound? What does good writing mean? What does that look like? Why is that such a thing to you? For a lot of people, for the majority of people, for me, good writing, good scripts, good screenplay, good writing, good crafting, good video, good content, good coaching means I'm doing something that makes a difference to somebody else. And that it is, on some level, while good for them and helping them, it is better than they could get somewhere else so that I feel validated. It tells me that I'm good enough too. That's scary to admit. That's hard. That's not something you're supposed to talk about when you're trying to make your living making content. Good writing and perfect writing are these real crazy expectations that are almost impossible to achieve. If I sit here and tell you that I'm trying to be better than the other coaches out there, I've already lost. 
because a lot of those other coaches, well, they're not very good at teaching, but they're really good at charging you large sums of money for very simple things made far more complicated. There are some very good coaches out there, but they work in very different ways than I do. They're not comparable. Yeah, we talk to people, but you talk to people. That's not the same thing either. What does good mean and what does perfect mean and what are you trying to do? And why is that so far away and why are you so willing to deny yourself how far away it is? Why does it never come closer? Why do you never let yourself get better? What are you afraid of? Sometimes when I talk about this, people bring up traditional publishing. I've worked at traditional publishing. Agents, pimps, people who will exploit you for your, a percentage of your labor, editors and publishers, they don't want perfect. They do not want perfect. They do not want only technically flawless. They do not want stuff that is forcibly profound. They do not want stuff that is free from criticism. They do not want stuff that is, you know, zero defect, rolls off the assembly floor, absolutely fine. They only want something they can sell to somebody else because that's the job. That's how they make money. That's what they're interested in. They will couch it and, and wrap it up and package it under the idea of, we want to make our readers like our books and feel good. They'll talk the language of building a bridge, but they're not really interested in building a bridge. They're looking to build a bridge based on what they can sell to somebody else. Perfect has nothing to do with that because they can always take a book and edit it. They'll shape the thing they want to get into a, an alignment and a construction that they can sell. They're not just scrubbing out, oh, well, you know, you, you screwed up all your commas. They'll, they'll fix your comma errors for you, and then it'll be free from defect, and they'll just put that out. They want something they can sell. they got to make some money back. They want to sell. They don't want perfect. They're not looking for art. They're looking for product. That's different. Now, your road to your goal, because we're going to talk about perfect some more, doesn't look like any other road. It's all yours. It's your road. It's your path. Your path from where you're at to where you want to be. Your path from how you're writing now to how you could be writing down the, you know, down the road later on. Could be straight. It could be curvy. It could be all over the place. And it's all yours. And it's not about being perfect. And it's not even about being good enough as though you have to do the maximum to be at the bare minimum of everyone else. Your road is your road. Your journey on it is yours. It doesn't look like anybody else's. It's not going to look like anybody else's. And it will take you as long as it takes to get where you want to go on the assumption that you put in the work. If you run away, if you avoid it, if you stop because you're scared, because you don't ask questions, because you're afraid of looking stupid, because you're afraid of admitting you don't know, because you were told you were a gifted and talented kid for years and then all of a sudden you got to be an adult and you felt really overwhelmed in life and then you realized you didn't know what to do. So you just didn't try and you were afraid to approach things with difficulty because you never really learned how to fail because everybody wanted to just protect you and insulate you because they didn't want you to have to worry and go through hard stuff. So they tried their best, but in the end, you just had to learn how to fail and you didn't learn that until you were in your 40s and alone. Your road is your road. It's not going to look like mine. It's not going to look like hers. not going to look like theirs. Your road is your road. 
It's not easy, but it's yours. And you'll be on it for a long time unless you want to get off. But if you want to get off, get off. If you want to get back on, hey, guess what? The road will still be there. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be good enough. You just have to own it. It just has to be yours. Writing does not have a speed limit. There's no minimum rate you have to maintain to keep pace with everyone else. It doesn't matter if you write 500 words every two days or you only write on the weekends or you only write late at night or you write every morning. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What matters is if you've written. Not how much, just if. If you have. There's no speed limit. There's no speed, no amount you have to do to keep pace. Just write. Just write. Ask questions, practice your technique, and grow. But you have to do it. But how fast you do it? Well, up to you. But do it. Better quality writing. Because that's really what we're talking about here. Building that bridge, connecting to the reader, writing something that isn't just performatively sterile. Better quality writing shows your technique and your skill. It's not easy. That doesn't mean it's super difficult. And if you're finding it very difficult, you're probably trying a little too hard. There is a level of challenge to it, but it's not the hardest thing in the whole world unless you get in your own way. You can practice your technique and you can practice your skill, but it's more than just understanding this is how you write a second act. This is how you do a flashback. This is how you do, you know, an antagonist arc. The technical stuff alone isn't enough. Just like in the same way, you can't skimp on all that and just write vibes and just write in a weird, disconnected, stream of consciousness way, like a 14-year-old with a blog writing their first emo lyrics or something, where you can just string things together because you have a lot of trauma and no boundaries. It's not easy, but that doesn't mean it's impossible. You've got to aim for your technique. You've got to aim for skill. You've got to connect with people. It takes time. It's hard, but you can get better at it. You really can. I know you can. Just practice your technique. It'll get better the more frequently you do it. Not necessarily the faster, just the more frequent. There is already enough difficulty in developing and writing a story. You do not have to make it harder in order to demand someone's time, money, and attention. You don't have to go out of your way to toil in the field. All you need to do is demonstrate that you're doing it, that you've done it, that you know what's important, that it's not just about, I wrote a thing and I'm going to tell this story at your face so that you have to do nothing other than just sit there. We want to engage the reader. We want to hold their focus. We want to build something with them, collaborate on some imaginative, evocative level. That's not easy. Don't make it harder than that. Don't make it harder than it needs to be because you're trying to validation seek all over the place. 
you're already worth their time and attention. The money will follow depending on how it is you connect with them and if you connect with them at all. Don't make this harder than it already is. It's plenty hard to be brave enough to do this. Give yourself some credit. Push yourself. Do you know how frequently I have to tell myself that? Like every couple minutes all day, every day. There are so many things, so many things under your control as we wrap up right now. So here are some things to remember. This is not a competition. You do not have to beat anybody, not even yourself. Nothing you produce is set in stone. You can always change it. Right up until the day you decide to go publish it, and even depending on your mode of publishing, you can change it after that too. All you need to do is act decisively. and You take your time and you connect to people. How people do what they do, other writers, how they do it, what they do, that doesn't reflect on you at all. Other people get done faster. Other people get signed deals. Other people do loads of different shit. They're doing that, them trying that, them succeeding at that does not mean you have failed because this is not a competition. They're just doing their thing. That's their road. You're on your road. Sure, you might have some of the same goals in mind, but your road to that goal looks different than their road. That doesn't mean you're failing just because they're succeeding. It's hard sometimes to accept that because you see the success they're having and you become aware of the success you are not having. If I get one more goddamn newsletter from a writing coach who tells me they just made $80,000 and bought a fucking boat, I'm going to scream. Because I'm over here trying to rub together $200 for groceries. It's hard. It's scary. But the goal here is to connect with other people and share your life through the medium of your manufactured stuff. Through your imagination, we can connect with the reality of other people. Through your imagination, we can connect with the reality of other people. That's what we practice. That's what's under your control. That's how we build that bridge. That's how we get away from sterile writing. You take your time, you practice your craft, you make decisions. Not to be perfect, not to be better than somebody else. You just decide and move forward and decide and move forward. And if we got to change things, we got to change things. Nothing set in stone. There's a lot more control you have, especially in those moments where you're feeling like the whole thing's fucked and you got no control. You can do this. You're really good enough. But do more than just inform people about the imagination you have that you wrote down. Share with them more of yourself than just this specific little dimension of stuff you made up. Share yourself with them. That's what they're looking for. Try it. Are there 
any questions about any of this. I don't even know who's here. I haven't even stopped to look or ask for questions, so I don't know if I've been talking to myself or not. Let me look at this thing. Yeah, apparently I think I've just been talking to me, which is fine. It's okay. I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you got something out of it. No questions came in late. Thank you. I appreciate not being alone here. Thanks so much. I'm glad you like this. Uh, feel free to catch the replay when it goes up on YouTube tomorrow and when it goes to the podcast feed tomorrow. But if there are no questions, I'm going to get out of here. It's been a long day. Let's get out of here. Let's hit that outro. Man, that was long. In rehearsal, I got to tell you, it was only like 35 minutes. We went like an hour and 40. I'm quite pleased about that, actually. That was great. I want to thank everybody for checking this out. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. Thanks for watching. Thanks for catching this after the fact. If you're watching this on YouTube, please don't forget to like, subscribe, and click the bell thing for notifications so that, you know, YouTube, YouTube stuff. Uh, if you're watching this on Twitch, uh, following is free. You don't always have to subscribe. Feel free to follow. It's awesome. Thanks for doing that. Uh, and if you're listening on the podcast, feel free to leave some comments uh, or you can leave tips on the on the podcast feed now too. Um, thanks for being here. This one was good. I will see you next week for the writer's chat and maybe one more thing after that. But um, mostly for the week, we're good. So until we talk next, take care of yourself. I love you. All power to all people. Keep making stuff. Don't give up. And I'll talk to you very, very soon. See you.